Clones, if you're like me, working remotely, you've been staring at your gray hairs and all of your colleagues' gray hairs on video calls for months now. And you've probably been thinking, man, I should do something about this. I really should. I should color my hair. Maybe you're thinking about it. Trust me, you're not alone. Now, last week, I heard about Madison Reed Mister. And what caught my attention here was the before and after shots of the beards. Madison Reed Mister is a gray blending. That's key now. Gray blending natural color for your hair and your beard. As an example, what are we talking about when we talk about blend? We're talking about you not getting that shoe polish look, that nasty look. There's none of that here. Maybe you're not looking for a really drastic change. Maybe you only want a little more pepper and a little less salt. Whatever you're looking for, Madison Reed Mister makes it easy to find your color match right there on the website. They deliver it right to your door, and the process is quick and it's easy. You simply apply the color gel to dry hair. You apply the color activator. You wait 10 minutes, then you rinse and shampoo, and the natural-looking hair color fades gradually, so there is no commitment. Just go to MadisonReedMister.com. That's MadisonReedMR.com. Use the code Rome, get 10% off, plus free shipping on your first box of Madison Reed Mister. It's a great deal. One more time, code name Rome, Madison Reed Mister. It's all about connecting to what energizes you, what drives you, what motivates you, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel, you know, what makes you feel smile. And if you can get to the point where you're doing that stuff more consistently, you're going to live a lot better life than the people that end up choosing to do things they have to do instead of things that they want to do tend to get the results they want. Hey, what's cracking? Welcome to episode 142 of the Jim Rohn Podcast. And as always, I am hyped that you're here and making the side hustle part of your listening routine. This week, my guest is unbelievable. I mean, this guy is fascinating to me, and you're going to find out why very quickly. Drew Hanlon is not just one of the best basketball trainers working with the biggest NBA stars. He is also one of the youngest. And it's not just that he's only 30 years old. It's that he started doing his thing when he was only 17. And the only thing more intense than his career timeline is his discipline. I'm telling you, there is so much good in this conversation. I cannot wait to roll it. However, one quick disclaimer, know this up front. Drew, as always, was on his grind. He was on location writing a brand new book, and he was not in the best sell spot, but he fought through it and did a great job of lending us his time and his insight and his energy and his story. So let's get right to it. Episode 142 of the Jim Rohn Podcast starts right now. Now, Drew, you're arguably the top skills trainer in the NBA, and your client list is unbelievable. It includes the likes of Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal. And what's more is you're only 30, and your journey to this point really is fascinating to me. There are lots of different layers to it, but in terms of training, Drew, where, when, and how did this all start for you? Well, really, it started with Bradley Beal. So I was uh, training local St. Louis players. We're both from St. Louis. Uh, when I was 16 and 17 years old, that's when I started in the training industry. And uh, one of those players was Brad Beal. And so he saw, you know, his freshman in high school uh, points per game average go from eight points a game to 24 points a game as a sophomore after the first summer of us working out together. And, uh, you know, that big, you know, points per game jump kind of drew attention to a lot of the other, uh, you know, top high school players in the country, which led me to work with a lot of them. And then, um, you know, David Lee uh, was my first NBA client, 
David went to the same high school as, as Brad. And so he reached out to me when I was still, you know, 19, 20 years old. And, and you know, he was an NBA All-Star at the time with the Knicks and uh, was transitioning. You know, I just signed a max deal with the Warriors and, um, you know, reached out to me and said, hey, listen, you know, you're a local kid. I'd love to give you a chance. And one workout turned into, a, you know, the rest of his career. But um, that's really all it was. It was it was me working with a lot of players in the St. Louis area, uh, trying my best to help them, you know, get college scholarships. And uh, Brad's success really kind of, uh, you know, took my career to the next level just because it was the first kind of proof of concept that what we were doing was working. And, uh, you know, Brad was kind enough to uh, show me some love for some of the help that I that I did with his game. And, um, like I said, that led me to David Lee, which – led me to a ton of other clients and all the guys that I work with today. I mean, true. I mean, it's, it's kind of a condensed version. Like, the David Lee story is amazing. I want to follow that up in a minute. But just so everybody listening is clear, how old were you and how old was Bradley Beal when the two of you met? Yeah, so Brad was 13. I was I was 16 or 17. I think I was 17 at the time. And, um, you know, we, we basically the way we started working was I actually played against his older brothers. And so his family knew about me. Um, and uh, Brad was an eighth grader. When I was a junior, and we were playing in a like summer league fall kind of um, you know game with our high school teams, and we played against each other, and, and I scored a ton of points against them, and and uh, you know afterwards, um, you know I remember talking to his parents, and they're like, we'd really love for you to you know get in the gym with Brad and work out with Brad. So a lot of people don't even remember that that I was a player at the time. You know, we won a state championship. I did, um, and I played the year in Missouri, my my senior year. And that was Brad's freshman year in high school. And so we worked out one time that summer, and, and Brad hated it. Uh, you know, I, I, he almost passed out after 15, 20 minutes. It was kind of like, I'm off through. Like, I, I, I mean, he's just trying to kill me. He's not trying to improve my game. He just wants to kind of show people how hard he works and try to kill people. And so we didn't work out anymore, um, you know, his eighth grade summer. And then that following, following year, after his freshman year, we won that state championship. And right after we won state, his parents reached back out to me and said, hey, we'd love to get Brad back in the gym with you. And, uh, you know, that's when we started working out. And so, um, you know, we went probably three hours a day, every single day that summer. Um, and a lot of times we were doing workouts together. Uh, a lot of the workouts ended with, you know, us playing one-on-one, you know, and there were a couple other, you know, top high school players that would jump into workouts, you know, every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, I was 17 years old. He was 13. And then that fall, I wrote a book and um, I wrote a drill book, you know, basically like how to, how to become a better basketball player by just working really hard on your own. I called it driveway dedication, basically like, Hey, you don't need any fancy trainer. You don't need any fancy methods. All you have to do is, you know, love the game and, and be willing to put in work. You know, you could do it in your driveway. I put together a book and uh, self published it at Kinko's and went out to every camp and tournament I could and, and end up selling 5,000 copies as a senior in high school. And that's when I knew that, you know, this was a an opportunity for me to kind of, uh, you know, pursue uh, a, a career in the basketball training world. Right, so obviously you're a very different cat in that regard in terms of process and grind and work ethic, which I want to get to. But you mentioned David Lee. Now, when you talk about that big contract that he signed, I actually used to talk to David Lee quite a bit on my radio program. And it was during those days that this is an awesome, awesome story. Like, again... Well, you can lay this out. You go out to dinner one night with David Lee and Steph Curry, and you're all at a table and you're having a conversation. How did that conversation go? Yeah, so it's pretty funny. It was right after Steph signed his four-year, $44 million deal. So I know that when people look back and see what he did during his four years, they're like, oh, my God, he was so underpaid. But at the time, he was really excited because, you know, early on in Steph's career, he had that, that ankle issue. 
And so, you know, the security of getting a four-year contract, he was really pumped. And so he spoiled us and took us to Cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) And so we were at Cheesecake Factory, and, uh, you know, David said, hey, Steph, um, are you you planning on going to Seth Curry, his little brother, are you planning on going to Seth Curry's opening night game? You know, Seth was at Duke at the time, and um, he was like, actually, I am. You know, know, we have an off day where I'm going to go out there and, and, uh, you know, watch watch him on opening night. And he said, you know, they play against Drew. And I was a player at Belmont. That was my senior year. We opened up at Duke that year. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, Drew, I didn't know you coached at, at <laughs> Belmont. And I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm a player. He goes, what? And he was like, David, first off, I never knew how young you were, Drew. And second off, he goes, why would you listen to a, a college mid-major player? You know, and, and, and David, you know, really backed me up. And that was actually one of the things that really gave me confidence that, you know, that I could really uh, add value to NBA players' games because he said, hey, listen, he said, he makes me better, and that's all that I care about. He's not better than me, but he makes me better. And he, he used the analogy of, he said, you know, Michael Jordan and, and Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, all those guys are better than Phil Jackson. But Phil Jackson made those guys better because he could take them to places they couldn't take themselves. And he said, for Drew, you know, I, the first time we worked out was right after his first year with Golden State. He had a down year at Golden State. A lot of people were calling him overpaid and, and didn't think that, you know, that the $81 million contract was justified. And he really wanted to lock in and go to work. And so that summer we started really changing his game into more of kind of a mid-post isolation player, more face-up. He was more of a, uh, you know, a post player at the time. We turned him into more of like the, you know, now what you see, kind of the, you know, the pace and space kind of big guy. And David went on to have, I think, three or four years in a row, averaging 20 and 10 and was an all-star again and then ended up winning a championship with them. So, Really cool to see just because a lot of people didn't realize how young I was when I first started out. And, and, and that was hard. It was hard to gain the trust of players that you know, were in the NBA that were way more accomplished players. And, and, and quite frankly, they were a lot better players than I was. Um, and so that's why I really dug into film. That became my kind of secret sauce was I would break down the game in a very analytical way on, on paper using the facts and stats. And then I would, you know, break it down from a film aspect, you know, just seeing, uh, you know, different ways that they could grow and expand their game that maybe they weren't able to see themselves. You know, it's really hard to evaluate yourself. So I was kind of that, uh, you know, second set of eyes for them to kind of be that strategic voice to uh, nudge them in the right direction so that they can, you know, take steps forward each and every game. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be hyped. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at $1 bucks, the top prize, with a total of $3 bucks up for grabs for this Thursday's football contest. Getting in on Thursday night's single-game showdown is so easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using the promo code ROME. Draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap. See how your team stacks up against the competition. So head to the app right now and start making it rain. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using the code ROME We'll get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app right now. Use the code Rome, And for a limited time, new users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 bucks in total prizes. Do not miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter the code Rome and get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Code name Rome. 
Only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so Drew, again, we're talking about you getting your start in this business like at age 17. You had already published a book before you were out of high school. You're training an NBA player, a star in David Lee, while you're still playing in college yourself. And then a lot of this is because of just this ability to break down film and you're obsessed with film. But the fact of the matter is it starts at a very early age. Like you have this enormous capacity to grind, an enormous work ethic. Where did that come from? Why do you go so hard? To be honest with you, it, it started when I was really young with my parents, and I know that seems like a kind of generic answer, but, um, you know, we, we, were, we were always taught from an early age, if you want something, you've got to earn it. And so, you know, when I was really, really young, that meant doing lemonade stands and, and shoveling snow, you know, on driveways or, you know, raking leaves up or cutting grass. Like, that was how we wanted something. You know, if we wanted a new pair of basketball shoes or if we wanted, you know, candy from a candy store, we had to find her in, so I was taught that by my parents at an early age, but um, a couple other things that really separated me was when I was 12 years old, um, I, I gave sleep, and when I say that, a lot of people like, kind of just you know blows over, but I gave up sugar altogether. No soda, no candy, no ice cream, no anything. At the time, I had done some workouts with Quinn Snyder. He was the head coach of Mizzou, and, um, you know, St. Louis is where I grew up, and so Mizzou was just, you know, an hour and a half away, and so I'd drive down, and I'd work out with Quinn, and one of the things that he suggested at the time to improve our bodies was the limit sugars. Well, I took that as a challenge, and so I said, you know what, for a minute, I'm not going to eat sugar, and that was hard as a 12-year-old. I mean, that's what you do. You try to, you know, cram as much sugar as you can into your diet, and um, I gave it up for a month, and, and my mom just said, hey, listen, how long do you think you can do this? And I said, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to myself. This is truly something that can separate me. I'm going to do it for the rest of my career. And so I did not eat sweets until I was done playing college basketball at 22. So I can honestly say I didn't have a soda, ice cream, candy, Snickers, I mean, nothing for 10 years. I never tasted, like, artificial sugar, uh, you know, as, as a teenager. Um, so that was one of my big sprainers. And then when I was in sixth grade, I started shooting 500 shots every, every morning. Um, and then when I was in eighth grade, I started lifting weights at 6 a.m. with my dad before school. And when I got to high school, I shoot a thousand shots every single day before class. I get to the gym with my, my high school principal. Um, Dr. Clark would meet me there at the gym. He'd open it up at 5.15 a.m. Um, I get there, I shoot a thousand shots. If I didn't make 850 out of a thousand three pointers, I'd redo the workout again. And I, I think it's just, I have an obsessive personality, um, and I'm obsessed with getting results. And, you know, as a player, that was getting results for myself. As a now trainer, it's getting results for my clients. But I think it started at an early age of, you know, my parents instilling, you know, if you want them, you've got to be willing to kind of, you know, go the next mile, separate yourself, and then that grind mentality carrying over into everything that I did. So obviously you figure out early on that you, you know what you want, you're willing to pay the price, and you figure out a way to get some separation. I'm not going to have sugar. It's going to be good for my body. And that's not an easy ask for a young kid. But now you're a 30-year-old man, so let me ask you this. Like, for instance, what is your approach to alcohol? How often do you drink? <laughs> you're going to laugh. I'm 30. I've never tasted alcohol in my life. Not one sip of alcohol. I've had some of my clients that, you know, have, uh, have offered me $10,000 to take a shot just because they want to, kind of, uh, you know, break that streak, and I've turned down $10,000 to take one shot of alcohol, which disappoints, uh, you know, everybody that knows me. They're like, Drew, what are you doing? It's one shot. It won't kill you. But, no, I've never drank. I've never smoked. And it's, it's one of those things for me. 
I always say 100% is a lot easier than 95. And what I mean by that is if you're 100% committed to something, it's, it's always yes or no. There's no gray. So, you know, if, if somebody asks me to drink, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to waste willpower, you know, thinking about should, I, should tonight be the night that I drink? Should I drink, you know, casually? Should I go all in and get drunk? It's just the answer is no. Same thing with smoking. Same thing with a lot of things. I just put my foot down. Um, and I think a lot of people, they're halfway in. They're, even if they're 95% in, they feel like they're really committed because most of the time they pass the test. But, again, if, if you're 95% committed, that means 5% of the time you're going to get in. Now, every time that you get prompted, you know, hey, do you want to, now you have to think about it. I don't have to think about it. I'm, I'm all about going all in, which means 100% of the time you're going to be committed to whatever you say you're doing. And for me, I've chosen not to be a drinker, not to be a smoker, to be a hard worker. And it just helps me get stuff done without the, uh, you know, the questions around, you know, should this be the time that I, I slack in and or give up or, you know, take a break or, or, or kind of half-ass it? Yeah, I get that. Like, there's you're not fighting anything per se because the decision's already been made. It's been taken off the table. All of that said, all right, like, I, I could not respect that more than I do. Like, no booze, no sugar, you don't smoke. But, dude, I mean, you have to drink coffee, right? <laughs> I don't drink coffee either. Like, people are like, what are you doing? How do you not, like, how do you just function? How do you go? But to be honest with you, I think it, it really goes back to just what my bigger purpose is. You know, I love helping people. I love helping people succeed. And so... Um, for me, I would never want to be, you know, when, when it comes to basketball training, I would never want to let one of my clients down. You know, I'm watching the postseason right now, and as soon as a guy has a, you know, a game, I go down and break down all of their film and, and make suggestions for the following game by, you know, providing voiceovers, and then I'm FaceTiming them and going over the voice edits. You know, for me, the one thing that I would regret the most is if I didn't do everything I possibly could to give my clients the best chance of succeeding. And, uh, you know, my, my true love for helping others, um, you know, really kind of makes it really be hard on myself just because I want to be in a position where I can give them the best possible chance of succeeding. And, uh, you know, for me as a player, I wanted to give myself a chance at succeeding. I wanted to be a college basketball player. I wanted to play in the NCAA tournament. I wanted these things. And so I went all in for myself. Now I'm going all in for others. And it's a great feeling when you know you're a small part of the process when they, they do uh, you know, get that big smile on their face when they find out they're an all-star or an all-NBA player or, you know, hit a game winner or, or whatever they're trying to accomplish. And Drew, I'm going to ask you about a couple of your guys in a moment. I want to talk to you about Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum, but looking at your approach and your business model, I mean, obviously basketball is your platform, but I, I know this to be true, and I'm hearing you say it right now. What you really want to do is help people and impact people. There's something I've been meaning to ask you that I find really interesting. I mean, you've got a number of fascinating mantras and a number of things that you tell your clients but the one that I really want to ask you about is this. It's your philosophy on change. For instance, you believe that there are two ways to change. You can change gradually or you can, quote, quote, shock your fucking system for really transformative change. That really is interesting to me. What is the process for shocking your system? Like, how do you do that and what kind of change are we talking about? No question. I mean, I study the brain a lot. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I really spend a lot of time on is, is the psychology of our brain. I also... Um, you know, just spend time on learning about how we as, as people kind of uh, consume experiences and, and um, you know, how, how we handle things that have happened in our past, et cetera. And uh, because a lot of times slumps on the court happen because something off the court is affecting it. And with all of this, most of the research shows that the best way to, you know, the best way to make change over a long period of time 
is to gradually kind of break it down into minimal steps and, uh, you know, just build a habit. And so if you have something like, you know, an NBA player and they want to change their shot, you might say, okay, what we're going to do is we're just going to get them a little bit better at this and a little bit better at this and a little bit better at this, and eventually they're going to be better. And while I do believe in, in, in the science behind that, there's also another kind of way to do it, which is shock a system. Now, most of the time when you shock a system, it's because you have a, a traumatic experience in your life. So you think about somebody that, you know, maybe they've been an alcoholic their entire life, and then somebody close to them, you know, gets involved in a car wreck because of a, a, a drunk driver, and now they give up drinking because they, you know, it's really shocked their system. It's almost awoken them to, you know, what could happen if they continue to drink or continue to whatever. For me, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to connect my client's passion and aspirations, basically kind of like what they want most to where they're at now so that they realize that if they go all in right now, they can get there faster and they can make their chances of eventually getting to where they want to happen a lot quicker. And so I always tell people my job is not only to make my players better, but it's to make them better quicker. Because you got a guy like Jason Tatum who's on his rookie deal. He's going to sign a, a max extension this summer. If he didn't, you know, improve his shooting, you know, at Duke when he was coming in the draft, a lot of people were questioning if he was ever going to be a good shooter. But obviously, he shot 40% from three in his career. Everyone's been blown away by how much improvement he's made. But if we didn't make him a good shooter until, say, year five or six, maybe he doesn't get that max contract. So gradual increase, if we just said, hey, let's just improve your balance in summer one, and let's just improve your pocket in year two, and let's just improve your follow-through in year three, et cetera, he might not have gotten the results quick enough to get that max contract. So my method of shock the system just means we're going to connect what you want most so much to where you are now that you kind of want to shrink that gap in a hurry, and the only way to do that is by going all in or shocking the system and making a kind of a culture change or a a standard change right now instead of a gradual change over time that is going to take a long period of time. Clones, I've got an awesome product to talk to you about. Goodies Hangover Powder. Goodies Hangover Powder. This is amazing. What we're talking about here is hangover pain relief at the speed of powder. Fast pain relief with a boost of alertness. It's also the first hangover offering from an analgesics brand. It tastes great. It comes in tasty berry citrus boost flavor. You can get it on Amazon, in Walmart, or at your local convenience store. Listen, goodies understand you cannot afford to let a hangover slow you down. And for a hangover that is really tough, you need real medicine. Goodies Hangover is more than the natural supplements that you've seen before for treating hangovers. With a history rooted in analgesics and putting an end to tough pain, Goodies Hangover has the right formula to stop pain quickly and to provide a boost of alertness. Now you can have that fun night without worrying about the next morning. Goodies Hangover, real medicine for real hangovers, fast relief with a boost of alertness. Goodies Hangover. You work with business people. You work with people outside of the sports world. Like, it's one thing to find a young, developing athlete or even an mba or but what if we're talking about somebody in business or education or any other walk in life? They're farther down the road, right? Maybe they're in their 40s. Maybe they're in their 50s even. And at that point, they really are a product of their choices and their habits. Can somebody in that position really shock their system and transform their life? Or is it, you know, frankly, is it too late by then? There's never a time that's too late. And to be honest with you, a lot of the businessmen that I work with are guys that, that make 
you know, upwards of up 10 to $20 million a year, and they're super, super successful, but the problem is they, have no, they don't feel like they're connected to their purpose. And so what I really do is it's, it's a lot less of, uh, you know, business development when, they, when I work with, you know, CEOs or executives, and it's a lot more of life design. It's more so connecting them to what energizes them. It's more so, uh, you know, making them feel like they're actually, uh, you know, living the life that they want to live. And, and that's something that I do with basketball. You know, I always t- t- tell people my business, biggest success stories, in my opinion, are the guys that have helped basketball players that have got out of depression. There's a lot of my clients that have experienced it. Some of them have come out publicly and said it. But some of these guys, even though they have everything that everyone thinks that you'd want in life, they have money, they have fame, they have success, they're one of the best in their field, a lot of times they don't feel a sense of purpose. And so whether it's a basketball player, a business exec, or somebody that is just your, you know, uh, you know, doing a normal 9-to-5 job, what I think the biggest thing that anyone can do is find out what energizes them and then be able to devote more time to what energizes them. Because so much of, of what we do on a daily basis drains us of our energy. And so that's what I'm really trying to do. When I say share system, it's all about connecting to what energizes you, what drives you, what motivates you, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel, you know, what makes you uh, smile. And if you can get to the point where you're doing that stuff more consistently, you're going to live a lot better life than the people that end up choosing to, choosing to do things that they have to do instead of things that they, they want to do to end up getting the results they want. Andrew, you were telling me off air that you were working on a book as we were speaking. Is that the Stop BSing Yourself book? And if so, what's that book about? Yeah, so the book is titled Stop BSing Yourself, and it's really what we're talking about. Like most people, uh, you know, come into the diet industry. Diet industry, multi-billion dollar industry. Every year people are buying new diets, new diet books, new exercise plans. We all know what makes people get sick. You eat well and you walk out. That's it. If you eat well and work hard, you're going to lose weight. It's all about, you know, taking taking in less calories than you own. And when we know that the, the secret sauce is that, there's no reason to get a fancy diet. There's no reason to get a fancy book. It's, you just got to do the work. But for most of us, what we do is we BS ourselves. We say, oh, you know what? Having one cheat meal every Sunday, that's not going to hurt us. Yes, it does. That's BS. We also say, you know what, if I skip today's workout, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. And so what we do is we make these, like I said, 100% versus 95%. These people constantly give themselves breaks, and they, they assume that, ah, this doesn't really matter, but all this, this doesn't matter lead up to something that really does matter. Same thing with basketball players. I hear it all the time. You have somebody that doesn't know how to shoot, and they'll be like, you know, oh, it doesn't really matter. I can affect the game in other ways. Really does matter. It holds you back from accomplishing what your team wants to accomplish, and all they can convince themselves. And sometimes those, those uh, you know, are logical arguments. You know, but the truth is, if you really boil it down, you'll be after yourself because you're holding yourself from becoming the best possible version of yourself that you can be. And so that's what stop asking yourself is about. It's all about you know, kind of extracting all the lies that hold you back from becoming your best self. And then actually being able to follow through with stuff that you know you need to do and get it done so that you can become the person you want to become. I'll look forward to that when that comes out. Now, what about you and Joel Embiid? When did you two first come together, and what was that first encounter like? It was crazy. So I was actually down at Summer League, um, at NBA Summer League, and, and he had just got uh, you know, got drafted, and I was watching um, Andrew Wiggins play. And I had Andrew in the pre-draft process. And uh, him and Zach Levine uh, were down at the uh, you know, Summer League, so I was down there watching those guys. And um, 
you know, Joel came over. I was sitting courtside. Joel came over and, and scooted over whoever was next to me and said, hey, do you mind if I sit there real quick? And um, he sat there and said, hey, listen, I'm Joel. Um, you know, I know who you are. He's like, I want to get in some work. And so um, I was like, hey, I'd love to, you know, get in some work with you. I've heard great things with you. I have a good relationship with, uh, you know, with some of the Kansas staff. And uh, he said, all right, when can we get to work? I said, well, tomorrow I'm going back to L.A. So I was like, let me know next time you're out in L.A. He said, well, if you're going to be out in L.A., I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'll fly out there tomorrow. Let's get some work in. And so, you know, a couple hours later, I'm getting phone calls from his agent, his manager, you know, his coaching staff, and they're all like, hey, Joel just said he's you know, meeting you out in L.A. And I thought it was really cool that, you know, he wanted to put in work. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people say they want to put in work. You know, the next day he changed his schedule just so we could get out there and actually put in work. We, we started working out, and, uh, you know, we've been together ever since. And, you know, I was blown away. The first time I saw him work out, you know, he would, he would not be able to do something. And he'd say, show me again. Show me again. And he'd walk in a circle around me while I was teaching something. He'd do another rep, do another rep. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I'll show you times. Like, just a couple more. And then once he saw it and once he understood it and once we talked over the details, he could literally do it to speed. And I was so impressed by how quickly he picked up stuff, how, how, how much he paid attention to the close flow details and, um, you know, I knew he was going to be special from that, that workout on. So I'm curious, too, like what kind of thoughts did you have watching Joel and the Sixers get swept out of the postseason this year? Well, I mean, obviously I, I had Jason Tatum and Joel going against each other, so it's, it's hard. Everyone's like, you know, all the Sixers fans are, are over there telling me, don't, don't, don't tell Joel any adjustments to make, and all the Sixers fans are, hey, are you going to help Joel? <laughs> so right. I from both sides on, on social media. But, I mean, the truth is, uh, you know, with a guy like Joel, you know, he averaged 30 points and 12 rebounds. And the thing that the message that I took away that, that we talked about was you average 30 and 12 and you have so much more to give the game. That just shows you how special you truly can become. And so, you know, that's the biggest thing is, uh, you know, making sure that we, we continue to get him in better shape so that he can, uh, you know, play longer periods of time with that same intensity that, you know, he, he brings to the table when he's fresh. Uh, you know, being able to add, you know, more elements to his game to make him more versatile when teams double and triple team him. Um, you know, there's, it's just when you look at the film, it, it's funny how you can see a guy average 30 and 12 and, and, and find so many little details um, that can really help improve. And so uh, what we do is we just break down the film, we go over the tape, you know, he takes a couple of weeks off and then we get back to work. But, um, you know, his goal is to win championships and, and you know, win MVPs and, uh, we're not going to stop until this has happened. All right, so let me ask you about Jason Tatum before you go. I mean, obviously, you're very close to that, but I know how you feel about his ceiling. I know you see him as potentially a top-five player if he's not really on the precipice already. Like, what is it that separates him from nearly every other player in the world? What makes him so special? His swagger. I really think it's his swagger. You know, I've worked with Jason since he was 13 as well. Um, you know, we were in the gym every morning at 6 a.m. He was the best player in the country, and he was still outworking everybody else. And so, you know, he's developed just this swagger to him where he's, he knows he can get it done, you know, in, in the biggest moments. And uh, he wants the ball in crunch time on the, on the biggest stage. And I don't think a lot of people have that it factor. You know, a lot, of, a lot of younger players will ask me, you know, why was Michael Jordan the best player ever? In your opinion, Drew, because they, you know, they, they see what LeBron's doing and, and they can make arguments for LeBron. And, and I always tell them, I said, my game had an it factor. We couldn't really explain what it was, but if he was down 15 points entering the fourth quarter and you were in the room full of people, 
and you turned and said, hey, I'll bet anybody in here that the Bulls win this game, no one would take that bet. Even if Michael was down 15, you just assumed he was going to figure out a way to win it. And you look at Tiger Woods, when Tiger Woods was for a scandal, Tiger Woods could be down in three or four strokes into the back nine, and you started hearing the roars, and you said, somehow Tiger Woods is going to get this done. It, they had that it factor. And I'm not saying that Jason's on that level yet, but he's got to the point where you know, he's, he's got that swagger where he believes that he can get it done. And so now it's about just him continuing to improve his skills, improve his body, improve his game, and then be able to you know, grow into a leader where uh, you know, he, can, he can kind of show everybody um, you know, the it factor that he believes that he has deep inside of him. And, and that's something special. Not, I work with a lot of great players, you know, four of the top 20 scorers in the league, I've been working with since long before they were in the NBA. And to have what he has is, is unique. It's very special. You know, he, he, he believes that he can, he can get it done when it really matters most. And so that's why I, I truly don't believe there's a ceiling on, on how good he can become. Right, so the million-dollar question, of course, Drew, like are you hardwired for that it, that thing, or can you learn that thing? I think both. I really do think that it's something that uh, you can definitely improve it. You can definitely grow and expand it. But I, I do think that, um, you know, it, it's, it's a personality trait. It's people that are obsessive. It's people that crave results. It's people that, you know, have a competitive nature in everything that they do. And uh, I, I believe that if, if you have an on-hand switch, I don't think you have it tackle. I think that if you don't have an off switch, then you have a chance to have an it tackle. So I think that, uh, you know, I don't think every player does have, have the ability to grow into you know, somebody that, that feels comfortable in those big moments or wants to put the team on your peer, wants to carry it. Uh, but I think it gets to grows and develops through hard work, through confidence, through, you know, all, you know, positive experiences and the positive emotions. But uh, I do think it's something that's just in people that, you know, you have to grow and expand. Um, but, you know, you just have to be hardwired to, to, to never have an off switch, to never uh, settle or be content. And, you know, you look at a lot of the people that do have the it factor, whether it's in, in business or in sports, a lot of them have a crash at the end. You know, you look at MJ, you know, it, he had that it factor that made him the best, but he also had all the, the stuff that went with it. So look at Tiger Wood, he had the it factor, and then all this stuff happened in his career. You look at guys like Steve Jobs, who, you know, was one of the creators in, in, in the world's history, and then, you know, there are so many people that had negative stories about him. The same it factor that drives you to win at all costs also causes you to lose a lot of people in the process. And so I think that there's a balancing act that is a very fine line. Uh, but the people that truly develop the it factor, all they care about is getting that end result. And if they, if they get that end result, uh, they feel good however they got it. Man, I'm so glad that we could talk about this. Let me ask you something. What do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. What we want is beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. It's not shriveled. It's not dry. It's not tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender. It's tasty. It's not rough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. 
quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? That's right, so Drew, really quickly, we're, we're talking about super elite, super high-level performers. But again, you work with all types of players on every level. Like if there's a parent listening right now or a young player listening right now, what is your best advice for any young players? Like what, what is the thing that they should focus on? What's the thing they should master or work on? I would say the first thing is falling in love with the game. I know it sounds corny, but if you don't love the game, if you don't crave the results, if you don't want to put in work, if you don't you know, feel you know, at home when you're on the basketball court, I think that there's going to be, uh, you know, a plateau at some point just because you have to love the game because there's going to be those who don't feel like working and if you love the game, you're going to be able to push through that and get beyond that. So first thing is you got to love the game. Second thing that you want to do is you want to master the fundamentals. And the fundamentals to me in basketball, you got to be able to shoot the ball, you got to be able to finish the ball, and you got to be able to defend and make decisions. I always say those are the big four. If you can defend... And a lot, of, a lot of coaches are going to want to play you. If you can shoot, you're going to be able to space the floor, and you're going to be valuable. If you can finish, you know the current NBA and the current basketball game is all about you know finishing at the rim, shooting threes. So that's a big component. And then decision-making. you got to be able to learn how to play the game and, and make good reads and decisions. And so that's what I was start with. I started with falling in love with the game, and the second thing is get really good at the fundamentals. And once you have those four, then you can just build you know one skill at a time until you kind of develop a game that you know that suits your best body type and athleticism, and then um, you can grow into kind of a player that you know has a, a role that, that coaches and, and recruits and scouts want uh, you know on their team. True. Last thought: Who is Lulu, and what kind of an impact has she had on you? So Lulu's my little sister. Um, you know, we we my family has been involved with an orphanage in Haiti for uh, for a long time. My mom's mom. Um, they worked with Mother Teresa, and when she worked with Mother Teresa, she worked all over the world doing uh, assisting with kind of third world countries and, and um, underprivileged, uh, both kids and adults. And my, my grandma fell in love with an orphanage in Haiti and uh, did you know, funding and running the, the orphanage years ago. And uh, one of the babies that, that we took in, uh, a lot of times what we would do is we'd bring over babies that maybe had birth defects, um, and we would host them while they got their surgeries, and then once they uh, you know, got fixed up, we'd send them back to their families so that they could live a better life than they would have without the surgeries. And one of the little girls that we took in was now my sister, who's 14, and we took her in. She had hydrocephalus, which is just overflooding of water in the brain, basically, in the head. And, um, you know, what, what, it, what it did for me was, um, you know, she was somebody that they didn't know how long she would live. They... Um, they, they told us she would never walk. They told us she would never talk. And basically just to love on her and give her, you know, the best life possible. And um, my mom didn't, didn't believe that she had those limitations. My mom said, you know, she's going to talk. She's going to walk. She's going to understand. She's going to, you know, she's going to beat all these odds. And, uh, you know, even when moments where we were like, all right, mom, like there were times where, you know, my mom would be standing her up and my mom would take her foot and move it forward and take her other hand and move her other foot forward and say, guys, look, she's walking. And we'd all kind of shake our heads and we're like, mom, you're walking her. And uh, sure enough, she's 14 now. She can walk around. She can jog around. Uh, she still can't talk, but she can understand things. But I saw what my mom's belief did. My mom believed in something that was 
really against the odds, all odds. And the doctors were all saying it wasn't possible. And so um, it really opened my eyes to two things. One, the power of, of kind of love and belief. You know, if, if you don't love and, and believe in something, it's, it's hard to, you know, if you don't pour your heart and soul into something, it's probably not going to happen. And the second thing, which is, again, it's just one of those things where you don't really think about this, but how blessed we are. You know, I look at Lulu every single day, and, and you know, while some people are like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that she can't talk or that she, you know, has some kind of uh, disabilities, she's the most positive and happy person that I've, that I've ever been around just because she, she does. She's smiling and laughing all day. She's clapping. She's, she's excited. She never has a bad day. And so I see some, I, I really, it goes back to what my grandma used to always tell me. My grandma always used to tell me, you're never going to have everything you want but you're always going to have more than you need. And Lulu is the best example for me because I see she doesn't have everything that we think we want, but she has way more than we need. She has love. She has, you know, a, you know, a support system. She has, you know, food and shelter. And so I think that so many people out there, they stress and, and feel struggle over things that are very minute. And, uh, you know, the, the old school scene of, you know, somebody prays for your worst day is so true. There's so many people out there in third world countries that pray uh, for the things that we take for granted. And so Lulu was the best kind of, uh, you know, example for me in my life to just start really appreciating everything, having gratitude towards all the things, all the blessings that have been placed in, in my life and, and all of the people around me's lives. And, uh, and then also just seeing her fight and, and beat, the, beat the odds showed me that, you know, even if, if everyone else thinks it's crazy, you know, everyone thought it was going to be crazy that she'd never walk. My mom believed in her, and, uh, and she believed in herself, and, and eventually she made it happen. So, I mean, two huge learning lessons from her, and uh, I love her to death, but I also, uh, you know, appreciate kind of the lessons that she's uh, showed me through, uh, you know, her life. Such great lessons, and also the reminder, have gratitude, have gratitude. All right, Drew, so Pure Sweat is your company. If people want to know more about that or maybe even have an opportunity to work with you, where should they go? Yeah, the two things I always say is, I mean, social media, obviously, we're pumping out content like crazy on social media. So, you know, Drew Hanlon, you know, H-A-N-L-E-N is how you spell my last name, and then Pure Sweat on all platforms. And then I have a texting community where I send out free drills. Um, I've spent a ton of film edits and drills and breakdowns and just try to share it. Everything's free. And they can text me at 314-461-1862. It's a direct line to me. I have a line for coaches and players and trainers, so I can actually respond to them. And uh, But every day I try to send out a video that, that helps them in some way, you know, shape or form with the basketball side of things. And so uh, those are the best ways to connect. True. When does the book drop? I'm curious to read the book. So when is that out? Yeah, I'm sitting here working hard on it. I'm mean, trying to narrow it down. You know, that's a big thing that I always say with uh, you know, with, with my athletes. I was actually I was with Zach Levine last week, and, and we were working out in Orange County. And uh, you know, he asked me about the book, and he said, "Hey, listen," he said, "Don't make it over 150 pages so I can actually read it." So I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, you know uh, simplify it down to the you know the uh, the best kind of uh, possible messages. But um, I, I think it'll be sometime in, in 2021 that. And hopefully I'll get it on the shelves and, and, and hopefully be able to help a lot of people actually get stuff done and, and stop BSing themselves. True. I was going to say, next time you're in Orange County, we should have a drink, but we can't do that. Or we should have a cup of coffee, but we can't do that. I don't smoke, we can so we lemonade. can't. I, you, can, you can pick your drink of choice, and I'll have a lemonade, and it'll be all good. <laughs> really quick, you mentioned Zach. Do you, do you have any guys that work harder that are more dedicated than Zach Levine? 
I always tell people, you know, McConnell hard work, I said there's no way that's going to outwork him. You know, the work that he's done with his dad since he was a little kid and the work that he continues to do uh, to this day. I mean, I've been working with him since 2013 or 14. And, um, you know, every single year he just takes it to another level. And, um, you know, he's a guy that averaged 26 points a game last year and, uh, you know, wasn't an all-star and, and he just works, you know, like he, like he was under-recruited. You know, he looks like he had to chip on his shoulder. He looks like, you know, he was, he was traded, you know, for kind of what he didn't think was value. So I think that all the things that have played on um, in, his, in his career, you know, him being under-recruited, him not being ranked, him being passed over on the NBA draft, you know, not in the top ten, him, you know, not being a superstar early on, not getting those opportunities. I just think that he just continues to, uh, you know, let those messages drive him. And, uh, you know, he's another guy that's super young that, I think it's going to take a massive leap forward in these next couple of years, and people are going to be shocked about how, how big of a talent he actually is. Almost nothing lives up to the hype, but that certainly did. Drew, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate the conversation. As I mentioned, I've been looking forward to that for a long time, and it is so great to meet you and run you down, Drew. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate you. So, did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? October is Fire Prevention Month. Also, October is Fire Prevention Month, and it's right around the corner. It's never too early to start preparing. And we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety, to help you get ready for the unexpected and review some key safety tips. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. And having enough first alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your home and for your family. Install alarms on every level and in every bedroom of your home. And then once the alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember, the alarms do not last forever. They need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time that you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace the unit completely. For a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's combination smoke and carbon monoxide alarm with a 10-year sealed battery. This alarm provides two-in-one protection against smoke and carbon monoxide. Plus, I don't have to change the batteries for an entire decade. Lastly, take this time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route, and remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at your home with your family, visit firstalert.com slash month. Enormous thanks to Drew Hanlon for that amazing conversation and for fighting through the phone to make it possible. I appreciate him very much for that, and I look forward to talking to him again and picking up that book that he's writing once it does hit the shelves. Just as I look forward to catching you back here for episode 143 next Wednesday. So instead of remembering to meet back up in this digital space, just get subscribed, and all future conversations will automatically download directly to your device. 
I will catch you in exactly seven days with some fresh content. But until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Yeah, Jim, this is uh, Lance in Oklahoma City. Listen to you for years. And for years, I was in denial whether or not I was a clone. I would always tell myself, no, I'm not one of those schmucks. There's no way. And today, uh, I realized that I was. I'm running along, listening to the Daily Jungle, talking about Mike Rosso hitting home runs. And you said a couple of dongs. And immediately I responded with, <laughs> he said dongs. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I am a clone. I'm officially one of those sophomoric juvenile clones. And you know what, Jim? I love it. Have a good day. Message saved. Next message. Jim, Mike and Snowbird, it's the 4th. It's the Friday before Labor Day. I'm making my derby call now. Not like Matt in L.A. who's going to call you Tuesday and say, I had it. Here it is. This is my call, right or wrong. I'm going with authentic to win, honor AP to place, tis the law to show, and that's the three outside horses. And they're going to blow by the riffraff at the first turn, and then they'll jockey for position, excuse the pun, and that's my call. Authentic, honor AP, tis the law. Peace to you and your family. Hope you're safe and well. Message saved. Next message. Oh, hi, Jim. That'll be in Calgary. Go ahead and add me on Snapface. And I'm going to send you a little video on Celtics blowing a 2-0 lead on the Raptors. It's a 2-2 series, Rubber. It's a 2-2 motherfucking series. Add me on Snapface. Thanks, Rummer. Message saved. Next message. Hello, Bella B. in Calgary. This is Jeffrey in British Columbia. Perhaps you missed the memo, but... You should not be cheering for Toronto. Everybody in the rest of Canada does not like Toronto. You should be cheering for the Celtics. I'm certain, being from Calgary, you probably cheer for the Oilers as well. It's just wrong, all wrong. So, now, go home, stop cheering for anything from Toronto, cheer for the Celtics. Good night now. Message saved. Next message. Rome, what's going on with Los Angeles? I think they got their hands full right now with Harden and Westbrook. I heard a lot of people talking a lot of smack about what was going to happen and how they were going to destroy with their big boys, but I think they have a huge problem. Hey, this is Joseph, and I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Yeah, Jim, this is uh, Lance in Oklahoma City. Listen to you for years, and for years I was in denial whether or not I was a clone. I would always tell myself, no, I'm not one of those schmucks. There's no way. And today uh, I realized that I was. I'm running along, listening to the Daily Jungle, talking about Mike Rosso hitting home runs. And you said a couple of dongs. And immediately I responded with, <laughs> he said dongs. And then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I am a clone. I'm officially one of those sophomoric juvenile clones. And you know what, Jim? I love it. Have a good day. Message saved. Next message. Mr. Rome, this is O in San Diego. I told them, Dodger fans, we were coming from them, and they were scared. So I just wanted to say, playoffs, here we come. Be aware. Watch out for those San Diego Padres, baby. Let's go, SD. Yeah! Message saved. Next message. Romer, public service announcement for the new followers. Scripts are for scrubs, losers. Peace. Message deleted. You have no more messages.